Well, welcome everyone to the Rad Parenting Podcast. My name is Holly Kyle, your moderator, and we have a very special episode today. We have uh, with us, as usual, we have Tracy Turner, licensed clinical mental health counselor based out of North Carolina, and we have a special guest, Dr. Dana Weiss, with us today. And Dr. Weiss is a board-certified art therapist, a marriage and family therapist, and she holds a doctorate in expressive therapies and is co-author of the Invisible String Workbook. So she is joined today, and Tracy and And Dr. Weiss are going to have a conversation about uh, her work with the invisible string and how that connects in with the complex developmental trauma population. So welcome, Dr. Weiss. And Tracy, as always, it's great to be here with you. (laughs) Thank you. So I would love, I was going to say, I'd love to start out by just giving a little bit of background from you, Dr. Weiss, on the invisible string so that everybody kind of starts in with that, where, where that concept lies. So I have all the books right here next to me. Oh, you have it there. So the Invisible String, the original book, um, I did not know about it at first. I found it in around 2010 when I became a licensed therapist. I got my job at a residential placement center as the director of training. And they handed me a giant manual called Attachment Regulation Competency. And they say, train this trauma-informed thing to everybody in this building. And I said, I don't know what this is. And they said, we interviewed you, you'll be fine. And I was like, no, I've also, I'm also an introvert. So I was like, I've never been a trainer. I just knew staff needed education and I was passionate about it. I was like, you want me to train this thing? I don't know. And so both now I have two amazing mentors between the person who wrote that book and um, Margaret Blaustein and Christine Kennenberg and Patrice Karst who wrote The Invisible String. But it was probably about a couple weeks before my first training with it. And I was so nervous and I was out to dinner with a friend at one of my favorite little areas in California. It's Abbott Kenny in like Venice, California. It's this beautiful little spot. And we're at a bookstore and I picked up this book and I read it and I was like, oh, that's a cute children's book. And I put it down and I walked back over to my friend and I looked at her and I said, I think I just found my training. And I walked back and it was the invisible string. And I was like, this is my training. Like, this is where it starts. Like, I can't teach people what it looks like to work with kids who have disrupted attachment if we don't even really fully tangibly understand where attachment happens. And a lot of people don't because it's such a a felt sense that's just there before we have words that it becomes really difficult to understand when someone doesn't have it. And now we work at this point, I work with adolescents, so 11 to 20, who sometimes are like toddlers or little babies because that's when their attachment breaks happened or their neglect. And so you have this 17 year old who's tantruming like a toddler, but it's scary because they can really hurt you. And so trying to have our minds wrap around this concept is so hard. And I started reading the book and it was years. I was reading the book and reading the book to everyone who would listen. I I read it out loud in my trainings, like fully read it out loud and ask them, why did I read a children's book to you? And, you know, it's just such a beautiful thing. And then uh, probably about five-ish years in, we were doing a lot of work with the clients. So we were doing a ton of stuff around the invisible strings with the clients And we were just like reading it to them. And there was actually a really, a couple important cases where one girl wrote a poem about it. Her therapist had gone on maternity leave and she was really having a hard time with that separation. She wrote a poem about the invisible string to like Patrice and everybody. Then another client had her son coming to visit us. 
Heights. She um, was a trafficking victim and her son was from her trafficker who she referred to as her boyfriend. And when her son would come, she was always torn in between wanting to see him and be with him and be in the system and run away and go back to her trafficker. So her and I started reading The Invisible String together and then she would borrow my book and read it to her son. And it was this just beautiful kind of parallel attunement moment if I was giving her something she had never had so that she could give those moments to her child. And from both of these, they kind of said, we should reach out to Patrice. I think I saw in the book, she's in California. And then one training class said, reach out to Patrice. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I did. I emailed her and she will email you right back. If you email her, she's amazing. She emailed me that same day. She said, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear more. I, I sent her this really beautiful email, of basically the words of the kids and all the way we had used her book and our trainings and in our building. And probably a week later, um, we had a meeting set up for lunch and we sat there and talked about, I gave her all the questions I'd had over the years. Cause I let people ask questions like, why aren't there sequels? Why is that this, you know, why are they two white kids? Why? And she answered all the questions. And then I said, why isn't there a workbook? And she goes, cause I don't know how to write one. Do you? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll try. And we signed on a piece of napkin that we were 50, 50 partners in a workbook for the invisible string. And that started our journey. That's fabulous. It was so amazing. Yeah. I love how the serendipity piece of it all comes together, right? When it's meant to happen, it happens. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's great. And I was looking through your your workbook and just noticing some of the exercises and, and really wanting to talk to you about how you use those sometimes as adolescents. A lot of my... Um, a lot of my population are, are, most of my population are kids who have been adopted. So they've already been removed. They've been in the foster care system and, they, and the parents have already had, their biological parents have had the TPI or TPR already done. Um, and so for them, it feels like that string has been cut, right? That, that, that like that no longer exists. And so, and they're struggling with that. And then they're struggling on farming that invisible string connection attachment to their adoptive family. And there is where the, the disconnect, the rage, the grief, the, you get, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old acting like they're two or three years old where their trauma took place. And, and, and so just kind of curious as far as just, it's great to talk to some like-minded person as far as just like, well, how do we address this? And how do we use some of these exercises in your workbook um, to help all ages, right? I think, you know, I read kids books to kids all the time and, you know, they're, they're, they're 15 sitting next to me on the couch or they're five sitting next to me on the couch. Um, you know, that the fact that the, the story is what resonates with them. The fact that there's someone that I love you so much, or, um, you know, the kissing hand is another one that's been really popular. Um, and it seems very similar, right? That there's somehow there's some connection there. Um, and so they're still having this connection with their biological family somehow, some way, even though that experience might've been super traumatic for them uh, or they're struggling with, well, how is that? And feeling the disconnect to form with their adoptive family. Um, so in, yeah. And in guilt that, is the other word I see absolutely. like a lot that mm-hmm. comes up the guilt of yeah. loving these people who are taking care of me now and feeling safe here when I didn't feel safe here or the guilt of, I was the one who told and that's why I'm not there anymore. And that's why everything got destroyed. And yeah. so yeah, I think 
it's, it's so powerful because some of the activities, you know, we found from people who were sharing stories and doing stuff around the world. And some of the stuff were things that we were just coming up with and Mm -hmm. just, you know, some of them we made up just for the book. And I was pulling things because I have run groups for years. Some I've been a group leader. I've done a lot of curriculum. So some of that stuff was just natural. Um, but how we've used it is so interesting. And that's what I love about how we did the workbook and how the publishers really let us hold on to so much of it is that, you know, at first it started to get really young and I was like, I know it's for children and it's important. It's for children, but like, it should be for all ages. So like, we need to make it a little neutral so that anyone can pick it up and use it. Mm -hmm. And part of that was that we have used it for, I think the youngest, um, I, I worked with, um, I had the honor of being asked to come to a tribe and do a family night with them. And so this was just, you know, families that were together and there was, you know, probably as young as one to mm-hmm. as old as 60 in a group together doing some of the activities. Yes. So it was harder for the younger ones, um, mm-hmm. but it was really fun because some of the ideas is that the concepts of it are kind of more important than the artwork and what it looks like, but you can always have beautiful artwork at the end too. Mm-hmm. Um, and one example from the workbook, that's one I've used in all ages all kind of art skill is um, the piece of my heart work in there. So a piece of my heart is where you take maybe a piece of paper. I usually take like cardstock or poster board and you put a heart in the middle or some design. If you don't like hearts, you could do anything, but a simple design, you cut it up. And for this particular time, every family member got a piece. So even the one-year-old got a piece and even scribbling all over it. Like when we put it back together as the puzzle piece, you saw the heart and you saw what everybody contributes to the heart and it becomes this gorgeous piece that you can put on your wall. And I think when I think of the foster families and adoptive families and even biological families that are still involved, like creating that new system when that's allowed where everyone's together or having the different people be part of the home and stay there, you have these like memories Mm -hmm. that you're able to keep. So like activities like that, we really thought of for that. And I think the other pieces that, that difficulty of, um, one thing I've seen through, I've been in the field for probably 20 years now, mainly in residentials. Um, I worked with younger children at first, then, um, got my master's worked with adolescents as a therapist for a number of years. And now I've been here as a director of training and everything. I also do supervision and therapy. <laughs> I do all of it still here, but you know, for probably the past 11 years I've been here. And one of the things I've consistently seen too, is the lack of understanding of the grief, the grief of losing that biological family or every adoptive or foster potential family you have Mm -hmm. the grief of losing every group home. Like for a lot of our kids, some of the ones I work with have had a hundred placements between hospitalizations and families and um, different group homes, like a lot of these I work with are at a place where they're so harmful to themselves and others that they're not very manageable in a home setting. They have to have more, um, which also makes it hard to put them all together because Mm -hmm. then they're they're not doing well. They're not really doing well together. So it makes it a really hard job. Yeah. But the thing I consistently hear is, well, they didn't know them. Like if their biological family passes away or if they're upset or grieving, they're like, but they didn't know them. And I'm like, but that doesn't matter. Like that string's still there. Like they came from them. And so I think that's what I love about the invisible string is it never 
ends and it's okay if it has to be long and it's okay if you have to make it a little longer because of something that was dangerous or unsafe, but it doesn't mean there wasn't still love there. And it doesn't mean that there's not still a connection and that's okay. And I think that's how we've used it the most with those situations, because Mm -hmm. there's just so much fear around like, well, how can they be upset about this thing? They don't know, but they do know it. And also you're losing so much more than just the person. Just sort of, I think what you were talking about, Dana, about just the grief, right? And the amount, the intensity of the, of the grief that these kids feel inside um, and that, that they cover up with their, with their anger. And so now a lot of times we're parents and residential care and programs are dealing with the behavior of the, of the anger and not really getting down to the grief piece. And I think this is where the visualization and the artwork and the storytelling and the creative arts allows to kind of bypass the anger and move into the grief where in a way that the parents or their caregivers or residential or staff or whomever, right? That their caregivers kind of begin to kind of go, oh, I can look past this child's anger, still hold them accountable to that, but begin to address with compassion and firmness and boundaries that, oh, this, a part of you is really struggling with grief. And so, you know, I, I am in my work, cause I, I just kind of caught onto the invisible string. So my image that I use with people is that this is kind of like the silver spider web, right? Mm-hmm. That there's, that we're, there's, that we're all interconnected with the spider web. And so there are so many, and so there's so many other, there's so many strings that are all connected. So many pieces uh, that we're using this, we're using the image of a spider web. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. There you go. Cool. So. Is that the next one coming up or is that, it looks like that's already out. That's already out. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And that's exactly why. So in, I love what you're talking about. Cause in the workbook, we knew the whole series was coming out by the time we got picked up by the publishers we're with now little Brown and we were able to know what was being published. And I was able to get kind of some of the, it's not, it's not as much as we would like because some of those were coming out much later and were completed, but we were able to put in activities that have like the invisible web, you know, so now let's take it all around. And we were able to put in a lot of things like that to extend it, not just beyond that immediate family, but also to other people, to other things, to other people. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so this, the whole series is the invisible string, the invisible leash, which is about the loss of animals and pets um, and our connection to them the workbook, the invisible string workbook, the invisible web. And then they just, um, they have a new one. That's a lullaby. I think it's called the invisible string lullaby. That's the newest one that just came out. Mm -hmm. And then I believe, I know for sure I have French and Spanish for the invisible string. So the invisible string has been, um, done in Spanish and French. She showed me and I forgot, um, there's a few other languages that have picked it up as well. So, so the invisible string, now the workbook is a little too much for children's publishers to pick up right now. So they haven't done that one yet. I'm hoping for Spanish first because I need that one the most in California, but, yeah. um, yeah. but I would take French too. Cause that was the language I thought I would learn and then took in uh-huh. high school, but never actually learned. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I tried. I tried really hard, but you'll have to get you down to like to read it in French, right? <laughs> I know. I've been practicing in Spanish. I've been because okay, I do have some good. clients that are Spanish speaking. Okay. And so we've been practicing the invisible string in mm-hmm. both English and Spanish together. It's also been a great way for some of our teenagers and families 
Hmm. to start to learn language together because it is in the different languages. So I'll bring both of them and we'll talk through it and then we'll both be able to read it together. It's really, it's, it's been a beautiful way to connect on so many levels, even, you know, beyond language for some of us. So, yeah, well, you mentioned that I love the, I love the concept of like, and I, I talk about, you know, the puzzle pieces, right? We have this, we have our, you know, our soul is, is like a puzzle and we have all these puzzle pieces and, and all these puzzle pieces that might be missing or that are lost or hidden and how do we pull them back together? So I love your the collage image of like having family members do a piece of that heart. I love that. that I think that would work for all ages and all family members. Is there any particular other exercise that you feel like, oh, this is just, this is just amazing. This is one that has worked really well. Another favorite activity. Yeah, because the one that you mentioned was um, pieces of my heart. Was that the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a beautiful one. Well, interestingly, pieces of my heart has been really interesting through COVID because all of my trainings that I thought would be live and in person teaching all these activities have gone virtual. And so we've had to do some of the activities now virtual. Now I'm live and in person in my work because our kids very clearly at the beginning of COVID said, if we're stuck here, so are you, we don't do telehealth. Um, so we all have been in live and in person with them the whole time. And that's fair. That's fair. We, we agreed with them. We're like, yes, you need people that are here and taking care of you. Um, but we've done a lot of work and we've been able to like pull up on zoom, like a picture of a heart and then everyone kind of create it together and have fun with it. So we've adapted a little bit in some of our trainings and the things we've done, which have been a lot of fun. So if there's people doing health, telehealth, zoom is the best way, just because there's so many more features, um, artistically, but, um, on any of them, if you use teams or if you use doxy and can do like a shared screen somehow, um, it's really fun to do that on that um, platform as well. So we've been able to have fun and and how I've adapted that depending on the size of the group, if it's a bigger group, because with the other one, I do it in one of my trauma trainings that I do nationally, everyone who shows up in the room gets a puzzle piece and we do at the end, we put all the puzzles together. So every single person has touched the puzzle. And then I usually raffle it off to someone to take with them. It's really, everybody gets pictures and then it's really fun just showing how we're all connected. So on the screen, what we've done is put up a heart and depending on the size, if it's less people will cut it up into not cut it up, but I'll, um, have it kind of portioned off. So everybody gets a portion, but sometimes we just throw everything on the screen. So the inside of the heart is what we're giving to the world. The outside is what we're getting from the world. So it's a little adaptation of that. And then it ends up being these gorgeous, like screen creations of just like interesting artwork and words and colors. And I've done that actually I think our youngest group was kindergarten, um, which was interesting because they didn't fully understand the functions, but it was so much fun and they got really into it. Um, There was someone who blocked out the whole picture, but they realized the mistake. I think they had a parent with them and they corrected that, but um, it was so much fun. And I usually take pictures all the way through so that we always have it, but um, that's been a fun way that I've adapted it. Um, And then probably what's another one that would be, I know. So the other one that I think would be one of my favorites and I've used it a lot and it came from some work that I was doing with, with a lot of our youth of all ages. Um, And it's what travels along your string. 
And so that one is an activity where a lot of times our kids at our building have had so much trouble even identifying someone they feel safe or connected to. They've been pulled away from their families. They have all these staff that come in and out. And so we'll start to say, is there one person? Is there one person either in this building or outside of here? And so we'll kind of lead up. And so what we started doing is, okay, that one person, you can't be with them all the time right? Because in our building, there's, there's shifts. So you're not going to be with that person that you care about all the time, or your family's not with you. You can't talk to them all the time. What's a song, a movie, or a time you had with this person that connects you? So then you're saying that maybe it's a song. If they're music people, I usually do music, but sometimes it could be a movie you watch. And so like, I'll use my friend who lives in DC that I was supposed to see a couple of times during COVID and was not able to see. So we, a long time ago, I'm from the South, went to Atlanta to see the movie. Um, It's a great story. Hilarious. We saw the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And in the middle of the movie theater, she started laughing and snorting so loud during one scene that the whole entire movie theater erupted in laughter. And we could not stop laughing as a group for about five minutes. Like we just could not, like every time someone would try and stop laughing, like she would snort again and everyone would start dying laughing. And it wasn't even really that funny. Like that was the funniest part. Like it was funny, but it wasn't that funny. Right. And so that just is like, that is our relationship. Like she is Mm -hmm. someone who is just such a bright person, laughter, like she's in the food industry, which is totally different than mine. And like, she's so sweet that every time I'm out with her, somehow we have free food. Like people just bring us like fancy bottles of wine or like nice dinners. And I'm like, why do you live so far away from me? We need to like be closer, (laughs) but that's like, so what connects us is that movie. And even on different time zones, that movie will come on and we both somehow are seeing it at the same time. I watched that movie today. Me too. So it's this movie that connects us even when we can't be together. And it reminds us of all these wonderful things. And then underneath that string, you think about the qualities, what makes that relationship special. And so for us, it would be laughter, great food, and really good times. Um, And that doesn't mean we haven't been through hard times together, but those are the things that are able to connect us and keep us through those. And so that's an activity I do a lot with the youth where we might not dive that deep into it, but we're Mm -hmm. able to like have them think about people they're connected to. What is it that maybe is a tangible thing that connects them that you could hear, listen to, see, think about that reminds you of that person when you miss them. And then what are the qualities? Because one of the things I find with our youth, especially those who have had so much trauma and so much disruption, is that they have a hard time knowing what's safe or not safe or what makes a good quality person versus something else, right? Because they've just been stuck with a lot of people. So being able to start to think about what makes a relationship safe for you, what makes or comfortable for you, or what makes you feel connected to someone and starting to have that education there. And so that's a safe way to start to build that in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's it. another probably of my favorites that I do in almost all my trainings. And we do it with a lot of our youth. And it's very similar to like the circles of trust or other activities like that, just in a bit of a different way and using the lens of the invisible string. Yeah, I think um, you, you, you touched on something that I think is sometimes a stumbling block in the work that I do with kids is just that sense of safety, right? So you can be in a safe place, this person can be safe, but that having that sense of safety is so um, impossible and gets, and, and then being able to discern between who's safe and who's not safe and what, and so there's like, well, my, you know, like, so their adoptive parents might be really safe, but they're, they're not allowing themselves to get a sense of safety because for them, safety 
a sense of security has been chaotic, right? So there's no chaos. It's like, this is not safe because there's no chaos happening. And, it's, and so it's really trying to get their brains to understand, right? Thinking about how you begin to help them understand, well, you know, chaos is not, just because you feel comfortable in the chaos doesn't mean it's safe, right? And to be able to kind mm-hmm. of think so that the fact that, that there's this low level of, of nothing happening in their world other than connection, which feels really unsafe. So I, I think I love the way that you can bring that sort of string or spider web in to kind of go, what are the underlying layers, right? And think about a spider web. It's like, well, there's this, this part of the web and then there's another part of the web. Thinking about that, you know, chaos, jumping off from the chaos, how do we move down? How do we fall into that safety net of security and sensing safety and discerning that? Um, yeah, I think that's kind of a, an interesting um, thinking about what activities would, would, would allow that awareness or give them a different perspective on, oh, you know, just because I'm comfortable in chaos and, and I want to create chaos because that's where I'm most comfortable, even though it's not, then to be able to discern, that's not safety, right? That's not mm-hmm. allowing your nervous system to relax and sense safety where you feel that connection because only when you sense safety that we allow that connection to take place. Right. And even the word safe, right? Like what does that even mean? So we use that word a lot and I use that word with the kids, but sometimes even that word is like safe, like lady, what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? So being able to have different language and different ways to explain it. And I love that you're talking about a spider web because one of the interventions that I've used in the past was actually tarantula therapy. Oh, that's great. I love it. Because we had a kid that wasn't connecting to anything or anyone and was really just damaging their body so much. And I said, well, what would you be doing if you weren't in this building? And well, they said playing with rattlesnakes and jumping off cliffs. And I was like, well, those are both illegal. So we can't do that here. <laughs> but she, the client was also playing with like the spiders around the building. And I said, but I can bring in tarantulas maybe. No, that was a six month process, by the way, my senior administrator (laughs) was like, absolutely never. And then about six months in when this client was still really struggling, we couldn't really make movement with this client. My senior administrator in the middle of a meeting in front of everyone said, didn't you say you're bringing the spiders in? What's going on with this plan of yours? Snakes and spiders it is. And so I brought this tarantula in and I brought it in for one client and it was amazing. There's definitely clients who didn't want anything to do with it. There were some clients who just wanted to be there to get over fear, but more clients than not had this connection to this tarantula of being misunderstood. That was so powerful Mm -hmm. of like, it's really not like we brought in a rose hair tarantula. I had a lot of training in how to handle it. Um, and this, I, we partnered with this wonderful reptile store down the street from us that let us bring it in. They had a soft spot for our kids. And so they let me bring it in and took a lot of approvals right, and it took right. a lot of like DCFS and DMH and everyone knowing we were doing this, but it not, not poisonous at all. And, you know, we were very careful about how we did it. I took a lot of trainings on animal assisted work. So, you know, I was in line with it and it, it was just one of the things that I think is another adaptation of the invisible string is we use animals a lot. We have a bunny rabbit out front. So I don't bring the spider quite as much anymore because we now have a bunny that they forced me to buy. Um, they meaning the kids and my yeah, boss right. and all the other managers forced yeah. me to buy and take care of this bunny, which we all love. His name is Maslow oh. as in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Love that. 
I did not name him. It was a naming committee that decided on this. <laughs> but you know, I, I think animals is such another great way because people aren't safe, but you know, what is animals who are totally dependent on us. And so a lot of now, not all the clients we have had clients that animals, they would prefer to harm animals than right. keep animals safe. You know, they don't, and that's not a client we would use that for, but most clients, like you see them with an animal and it's just a different person and they get the sense of tenderness. And even with the spider, you know, one of the spiders we got, um, was really scared and kept climbing up and like dropping its body. And we couldn't figure out what it was doing. And we looked it up and we said, Oh, that's one of their defense mechanisms. They can bite, they can throw their hairs and they will crush their body and die. Wow. And they're like, do we tell the kids? And I said, I think we should. Yeah. And so we started telling the kids why we couldn't touch it and what it was doing. And the kids go, why would something so innocent want to hurt itself? Cause it's scared. Like, oh, wow. Oh, interesting question. Isn't it? Great question. <laughs> why don't you tell me? Right, right. Well, no, Dana, that's different. That's different. It's not oh. the same thing. I go, uh-huh. is it not? Is it not? They're like, Dana. Right. And so kind of bringing it back, I think that's a great example of like, I can see and they can ask like, well, why is, why, why would they ever do that? And it's like, well, let's reflect back. Right. And I think when we think about, when I think about like bringing it, pulling it back to this, the spider web image or the invisible web, or even the invisible string, it's like, you know, I think the web is like being, it's like, it's like a mirror, right? It's like, well, what's above and what's below and how does it show itself? And then I also think with the safety, thinking about, well, think about a safety net, right? A safety net is made out of what? String is made out of a web. It's being able to think about, well, what is your safety net and how, what does that mean to you, right? To give them that image when they don't have the, when they don't have the concept of, of safety and they don't have the concept of love, like when they don't have that connection. I mean, I've had kids who from, from conception, from all the way up until I've, I've, I've met them, have had no connection. It's a rape, it's a horrible pregnancy, it's, in, it's drug induced, you know, it's just, everything has just, there's just no connection for them. And there's no sense of safety in their cellular DNA makeup. So thinking about how we begin to, to create that, 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 that holding space and net and web and string that allows them to find that sense of self that has been so invisible and so disconnected. Um, I feel like there's so much material that we could continue to cover and go on and on and on about, but I'm sure as yeah. Holly will say. <laughs> Another time. No, I would love Another to time. get, uh, yeah. Dana, I'd love to get you and Patrice on, um, to talk more about the invisible string. I think that would be another great conversation. Any final thoughts about, um, incorporating the invisible string, uh, with, uh, children with complex developmental trauma, Dana. I think just from what you just said, just thinking about one moment at a time, right. When I work with the youth, like there's going to be so many waves and so many, like the roller coaster and the waves, however you want to use the metaphor with that, those relationships. And, I just think of like one moment at a time, if I can have one moment, like I think back to that girl I was sharing about with her son, it may have only been 10 minutes where she has him on his lap and her lap and she's reading that book to him. But those little moments give that boy something that she never got. And I just think moments, like if I could do one activity, if I could have that one discussion, those little moments are how we create that web. 
right? How we create that like safety net Mm -hmm. is those little moments of just being able to do that. And that's why we wanted 50 different activities in here. That's what Patrice and I really felt strongly about is one moment, one activity is not going to work for someone, but it's going to work for another person. And, you know, we wrote it for everybody. We wanted a parent to pick it up and use it. We wanted someone to be able to pick it up and use it for themselves. We didn't want the word therapy in it because we wanted it to be something accessible to everyone and that other people could take and take it deeper if they could. Yeah. So I think I would leave it with that. And I'm very sure I can get Patrice on. I think she will be so happy to meet you. Both. Would love that. Would love that. Tracy, any final thoughts from you before we close for today? No, I'm just, I'm rejuvenated. It's lovely to hear that there's other, other, other folks doing this work and, and being able to give different perspectives um, and, and different choices for people and just being able to collaborate and continue to spread the word and have the spider web or the, or the net just go out, right? It's like, let's make this, let's make this a little bit bigger for anybody and everybody. Um, so that's kind of my passion and my dream is kind of like, how do I, how do I connect? That's, you know, how do I, how do I, how, how do we all connect on that spider web? Um, so that we're, we feel like ours, you know, that our, we have a safety string, that we have a safety, a, a safety line to kind of go, I'm not sure. Can I, can I, can I talk to you about this? Right. Yeah, so I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you and yes. so I look forward to more conversations. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you both for the work that you do. Uh, There are so many kids out there who need the help. And I know that families are certainly grateful for the insight and the perspectives that you're able to provide. So uh, just for through me from them, I I wanted to express thank you. Uh, Dana, thanks for being on the Rad Parenting Podcast. And we look forward to having you back with Patrice to talk more about the invisible string. As always, we are grateful for our listeners out there. And if you have have a particular topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to email us rad at parenting at fullcirclefamilycounseling.com, or you can find us on the web fullcirclefamilycounseling.com to find out more about what we do and listen to our other podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you so much.